1: Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic shoes at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
0: The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world?
1: How serious even is climate change and when should we start building our rafts?
0: Hello everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from The History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast Mystery, Mystery of, of everything. everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. <laughs>
2: Monster Talk. Hey there. What follows is an audio version of an interview originally recorded as part of our Monster Talk live streaming series that Karen and I hosted during 2020. As of this posting, we're not currently doing those live shows, but they are archived on YouTube. You can check the show notes for a link to this particular episode. And the live format's definitely something we're going to try to get back to in the future. These episodes do not get the normal editing treatment of a traditional Monster Talk, and because of the variety of issues that happen during live recordings, the audio quality may be wildly varied, and you should assume there will be some not-safe-for-work content, so I'm posting all these as explicit just in case. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting Monster Talk. Your contributions at patreon.com forward slash Monster Talk and your positive reviews on the podcasting platforms and applications that you use to listen Help us reach new listeners and spread the important message that monsters can be a great tool to learn critical thinking. We need critical thinking now more than ever. Monster Talk is hosted by me, Blake Smith, and my co-host, Dr. Karen Stolzno. If you enjoy this show, please check out our deep catalog of fascinating interviews with experts about psychology, sociology, anthropology, folklore, religion, and more. Monster Talk. All right, we are live We are live on Monster Talk Live. You can like and subscribe us uh, on patreon.com forward slash Monster Talk. You can find us on Facebook. And I'm Blake Smith.
1: I'm Karen Stolzner. Good evening, everyone, or good morning, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us.
2: And today, today, tonight, we have Dr. Ashley Landrum with us. Hello. Mm Hello. So we uh,
1: yeah had the pleasure of meeting. It was uh, almost a year ago. Over it was, a year it ago was
2: just now. over a year ago. Yep. Yep.
1: At uh, at yeah, uh, Texas yeah. at Tech University uh, in Lubbock, uh, Texas. And um, yeah, we, we got to, uh, to meet up with you and hear a little bit about the work that you do. And uh, so we've stayed in, in touch and we've been meaning to bring you on the show for a while. So it's, it's really cool to have you on. And Thank tonight you. we're
2: talking about something really timely. Uh, I think, well, it's always timely because it's about conspiracies, and mm-hmm. those have been with us for a long time. But um, you've written a paper which is actually available now, free for a limited time. If you mm-hmm. want to read this paper, you can go to bit.ly forward slash mtl conspiracy, all lowercase. So it's like Monster Talk Live Conspiracy, but MTL Conspiracy, bit.ly forward slash mtl conspiracy that's a a short link for everybody but welcome to the show
1: we advertise that on facebook too and uh we'll
0: put it in the show notes when we this goes
2: absolutely yeah
0: yeah we actually have a couple out but um i guess that one has had a decent amount of interest lately so the publisher went ahead and and made it open access for a short period of time the other ones are open access too though i feel like
2: in a sense, we all know what conspiracies are, but is there like a formal definition of what is a conspiracy theory or?
0: There have been formal definitions that are used. So um, and I, I can pull up the the exact language if we need to. But basically, when you are explaining a phenomenon by talking about a group of malicious actors who often act in secret in order to um, to, to do something that's going to hurt or harm people in, in, in some way. And it may that type of harm may be like actual physical harm, or maybe it's just like adjusting society in a way that's only beneficial for their their group. But it's that that tight group of malicious actors acting behind the scenes is is really part of that.
1: And is this a, a modern concept or is this something that's been around for hundreds, thousands of years, always been around?
0: I mean it's definitely been around. I, I think conspiracies have been around for a long time. Well, I think one of the things that I always think is important to point out is they're not necessarily wrong, right? So we can think of, we can think of conspiracies that, that we know actually happened or or things that are actually, you know, where we have evidence that the conspiracy occurred. Um, Most of those will happen right away. So if we think about Watergate, for example, or Iran-Contra, the NSA leaks, I mean, there's, and then conspiracies where there's a actual terrorist attack. So, not the 9-11 conspiracy where 9-11 was a hoax, but the actual conspiracy to to take down the, the World Trade Center, that is a conspiracy. And so conspiracies happen. Um, but then when we use the term conspiracy theory, what we're often talking about is a sort of complex narrative um, that, that is used to explain something where it's never proven to be false because you can't technically prove something to be false. So it's any any sort of evidence that you come up to the contrary can always be seen as part of the cover-up. So uh, we'll call it non-falsifiable.
2: Yeah, yeah. And in, in, in the paper that we're sharing out tonight, you're talking about conspiracy theories and science denialism. What, what do you mean by science denialism?
0: So here's another thing I, I want to clarify too. I think, you know, we talk a lot about science denial When we talk about people who reject the theory of evolution, or when we talk about people who reject climate change, but it's not that the groups of people who reject these specific instances or or I I don't know, phenomena, (laughs) how to talk about them. Um, It's not that they reject science. So often, even the flat earthers who we've done research with don't reject science as a as a way of knowing or as a way of of finding out knowledge. Most of these individuals believe that there there are scientists working on these issues who are acting um, disingenuously, so um, that there are people who are trying to push a climate change narrative, people who are trying to push an evolution narrative. But they would often say that, that they want to do real science or that they will contact scientists that they trust that will provide uh, them with information that will be more consistent with their worldviews so we we will use this science denialism broadly but when we think about it when we really break it down it's not that people are denying that science is an is epistemically significant right or is a great way of learning about new information it's that we even though we know science is going on and that science is trustworthy. That there's always that room for human error. And anytime humans are involved, you can assume that there's going to be bias or credibility issues, which might make something less trustworthy.
2: And does it also include things about like viewing science as an orthodoxy or science as an institution versus the methodology? Is that what you mean?
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, big S science. (laughs) Right. I have my my (laughs) because science shirt on. There you Um, go.
2: Yeah. With two of the yeah, most it's, noted it's, scientists, right? Yeah, now. we missed
1: yeah. it. The, the moment you tried to show us it went to Blake.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah. Oh. yeah. Bunsen, honeydew, and and beaker. Yeah. Um but but yeah, it's um, you know, when you we talk about science as a social institution as well. you have um when you do a Google search. For so, Google has. I'm not sure if you're maybe you're familiar with this, but they have a a scholarship page, so it's scholar.google.com. And Mm -hmm. the tagline for that is standing on the shoulders of giants. Because the idea of science is that you have, you know, individual scientists with all sorts of different motivations, all sorts of different biases, all sorts of different training, and they're all working on these projects. And so, the more evidence that starts to accumulate showing one thing, then the more likely that is to be true or to to be the case. That's why we can trust the process of science. But I think that's something that's so true here for for, um, the the issue of of COVID-19, right? So we're, we're looking at things that are new and uncertain. And as the science comes in, it's not that any one study is going to tell you the exact right answer because studies can have error. You can have sampling issues. You can have problems. But- when you start to accumulate large amounts of evidence, then you can see where most of that stuff is falling. And then that is what you start to know is probably the case. And so it can seem like science is going back and forth until we get to that point.
1: Uh, So you mentioned climate change. Can you just tell us, give us a few examples of uh, types or uh, kinds or themes of science denialism that are,
0: are out there at the moment? For climate change or like climate change?
1: Um, I like climate change. What are the some of the things that people are in in denial about when it comes to, um, uh, you, know, you know, the general public and and their understanding or belief of, no, uh, sure. of science?
0: Yeah. So, um, so definitely the for a long time with climate change, we saw the denial that climate change was actually a phenomenon. Now you're starting to see see that narrative switch to well, it's a phenomenon, but it's not human caused. Thus, we shouldn't have to do anything about it. Um, Of course, evolution is also a famous one. You have um, the belief that genetically modified foods are bad, like are actually like negative, um, have negative impacts on people's health. Um, You have the belief that vaccinations have more. (laughs) I always say like, of course, there's always with any type of medical intervention, including like my Advil, there's, you know, contraindications or there's potential side effects but um my my screen froze for a second hope nothing happened um (laughs) but that the belief that the side effects are so strong or so negative
2: yeah it's 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 interesting the um i think in a sense conspiracy theorists have this advantage over science in that they can point to the weaknesses of science as being like well what about this exception and what about that exception and I, I like to think of science as a methodology that's always striving to push out what's false and figure out what's more accurate, but right. it's always provisional. It's always sure. provisional. And it is.
0: And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why it's kind of scary to people. They, they want certainty. They We the, want mm-hmm. people to tell us, but the, the other thing I think that you kind of mentioned or touched on there is that there's always weaknesses, well, and that's true with, with everything, almost any of these situations where we see what we would call, you know, science denial, it it's usually coming from a, a balancing of the costs and, and benefits of any issue. So if you're looking at, you know, vaccination, you know, yes, there are going to be some kids or some adults even who are allergic to some of the ingredients that are in vaccinations, or you might get a bruise, or your arm might be sore, or you know, there might be a newer vaccination and you're not sure how people are going to react to it. But on the other side, you have, what's the likelihood that you might catch a disease? And some of the diseases, the likelihood that you um, that you catch it if you're not vaccinated is still pretty low, in part because of, you know, community immunity or, or what some people call herd immunity, um, or because maybe it's, you know, not as prevalent in, in society. So this sort of balance between these um these costs and weaknesses. And I think we're seeing the same thing with, um, you know, with people sort of pushing back against COVID and that it's, it's coming from a place where you have the, the, the possible, um, danger that they'll not only get COVID-19, but that the type of COVID-19 or the way that their body reacts to it is the extreme way that puts them on a ventilator. There's a lot of people who have, Something that may not be much worse than the cold, or people who are completely asymptomatic, and so if you're just thinking about the individual, like your personal experience with something, you might think, well, you know, I don't want the entire economy to be shut down to lose my job. Maybe if I was just starting to get there again, you know, just because some people, like like a handful of people, might die, but all you know, most of us won't, and and you can see the the kind of weighing of that from different political worldviews and how you can how that can end up being um very controversial in 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 discussion in, in public
1: and uh, we had we did a show a couple of months ago on uh COVID-19 I think it was uh, a, a little bit earlier than or just before the shit really hit the fan it
2: really was just was right at the right at the beginning <laughs> was,
1: yeah yeah it was before quarantining and and uh, isolation and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit on the show about some of the conspiracy theories that are out there, uh, that this was created in a lab. Uh, but it seems like of late, they, they, one of the biggest beliefs surrounding this is that it's a hoax. So could you talk to maybe a few of these theories that are out there about COVID-19? Yeah, well,
0: so I think the other thing that we should do is we might be, you know, and I, I've seen, so I haven't, um, I, you know, I've, I've run a couple of surveys asking people about their views of, about COVID-19. But I, I haven't really published anything or gotten in deep with this, partly because I don't think we 100% know yet what, what really mm-hmm. what really is going on. So, um, at, you know, at first there was a lot of discussion about how they were absolutely certain that this was not um, not something that was in a lab. Now there, I think there are several options here. <laughs> There's our possibilities. Um, it could be, you know, a naturally occurring virus that they were working with in a lab. It could have been a naturally occurring virus that just sort of um, that started spreading from the market. It could have been a you know manufactured va- uh, virus that was in a lab. And I think, given some of the lack of transparency around the start of this, I, I think it we we might want to kind of sit back and wait and not um, not say anything is too crazy yet until we really kind of hear more about about what's happening. That, that's not saying that we should jump in and start spreading conspiracies or believing the conspiracies but maybe not labeling something a conspiracy that in like 10 years down the road they go oh well by the way China did create that in a lab and it was accidentally <laughs> released out into the public you know um and then we're like well mm, now we just prove that now you're sort of handing ammunition over to to um groups that would say that we're too we're too willing to believe you know so I I, I would be I would say that some of those cons- conspiracies I mean they they and they can be conspiracies some of them are just I I think if, if it was, if it was created in a lab and accidentally released um, that's not necessarily a conspiracy because it wasn't like a purposeful action by a small group of, no, I I don't want to say who it is, (laughs) but somebody I know um, believes that it was not only created in a lab, but that um, that individuals in China were sent out to different locations across the world to try to spread it. Um, There's. Uh, somebody else I know whom I won't say who it is, who said that it was created from the, and I could be completely getting this wrong. Um, it was created from the HIV virus. And the reason that Fauci is the head of the uh, of the task force right now, or, or part, not the head, but part of the task force, is because he has a patent for something that's supposed to cure HIV. I, I mean, there's... A lot of them though at, at their at their core come mm-hmm. from these concerns from the anti-vaccination group, which is that the um you know that that the pharmaceutical companies are are sort of p- pushing this to make people get more vaccinations or to have to pay for new vaccinations. There's the the people who think that this is a liberal or a democratic hoax in the sense that they're hyping something up in order to. Um, either decrease Trump's chances or um, to be reelected, or to trash the economy on purpose to make Trump look worse. So I mean, and and they're they're the ones that come from economic concerns too. You know, again, believing that they're trying to you know purposefully get rid of of groups of people. So all of those tend to come from those common concerns. But from what I've seen from the population data, most people in in the U.S., at least, believe that this is a real thing and are concerned mm-hmm. about it. And the number who really are, are calling this a conspiracy in any you know meaningful sense are are limited to about you know less than thirty percent.
2: Yeah, but in with you know three hundred million Americans, that's a big chunk. I mean, that's I mean, like even <laughs> so, if it's 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 a lot of people. You know,
0: my friend. Uh, who is with me at the Annenberg Public Policy Center? Bobby Lull. He's a professor now at um, at Fresno. He said you can get thirty percent of people to believe anything. <laughs> he has a he has a theory that like thirty percent of people say anything in a survey. But no, it is it is no small it is no small number. Um, it's interestingly similar to the proportion of people who show strong support for Trump, and and so I, I think that that might be very predictive
2: of that as well um yeah well that that's interesting i mean you you talk about in in your paper about the relationship between science denialism and conspiratorial thinking and what you know it's 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 difficult to talk about this because if you get onto social media or honestly if you just talk to your family there's a good chance that somebody in your family has already come into contact with conspiracy theories and I've decided, yeah, I don't know. That sounds plausible, right? Yeah, yeah. And so so I, it, it, there's, there's one part of studying this that's like looking at how widely is it accepted and understanding like the numbers. But there's another part of it is like, what do you do? Like what's actionable? How can you reach out to these people and help them get out of that conspiratorial mindset? And it's really hard.
0: It is really hard. And, um, you know, I, I think some of the standard tips for communicating with people about science in general apply here. And that's, you know, really trying to understand what that core concern is, you know, why, why is it that this seems plausible to, to individuals, you know, is it, is it coming from, are, are, do, are they, do they hold? So one of the things I talked about in that paper um, which I wrote with my graduate student, um, Alex Olshansky, who, by the way, we were also friends in high school. I recruited him to come do the, <laughs> the doctoral program because he was talking about all this stuff online. Um, but, you know, we we separate the the difference between people who have a conspiracy mentality, where it's almost like a personality trait, but it's a worldview in which you just don't trust people especially people Mm -hmm. who hold positions of power and and that is very tightly linked with populist views as well so and populist views appear both on the right and on the left sides of the political spectrum so you'll see these types of conspiracies pop up with people who support both of those um uh like those types of political movements um you know you'll see, so there's that conspiracy mentality, but then there's also just conspiracy theorizing as a type of motivated reasoning. So when you don't want to believe something, or when you do want to believe something, you will try to find ways, or you will selectively read about or accept evidence that helps you build that that story in, in your mind. And, you know, especially in this I think current political climate where we have so much distrust between, um, b- between people of different political views and in some cases even people of, of different who live in different places or people with different religions or people with different ideologies. It, it almost seems more rational to them to believe that these people are acting with malicious intent. you know that they're that they're doing these things on purpose or that they're and, and it doesn't help when um, the opinion leaders of those parties, act in ways that show that. So, you know, I think a great example is when Hillary Clinton referred to the Trump supporters as deplorables. You know, to them, that fed, right? Well, of course she's gonna, you know, act maliciously towards us. Or even when Neil deGrasse Tyson did his mic drop thing talking about flat earthers where he was very dismissive. Um, Mm -hmm. Or when they talk about how science education is, is clearly, you know, everybody will believe science if they're just educated. You know, that's like, that's telling these individuals that they're stupid. And and they're not stupid, and in fact, we 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 can see in in um, that in some cases, the more knowledge, science knowledge, or numeracy, or critical thinking ability, these individuals have, the the better they are at sort of cultivating their own narratives. So, um, you know, just really listening and and finding out what it what it, what's their core concern, and and talking to them, but not patronizing, or or mansplaining. Sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah. So with that that mentality, uh, where does that come from? Is that socialization? Is it the way someone's raised and, and their uh, really parents' question. beliefs are? And
0: no, I think where that's does it really come good. from? Yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. And I, I think that there's definitely people who are who are kind of looking into that. It's almost like well, asking people why some people are liberal and some people are conservative. You know, mm-hmm. it in some ways maybe it's socialization, maybe it's events that they went through. Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe something happened and you know, for example, we're trying to look into, um, why individuals sort of distrust medicine and, um, lean more towards some of the, the natural. And and when I say this, I'm not saying that there aren't benefits in some of the more, um, uh, like non-medication based treatments for things. Um, but, but the almost like the more magic explanations for how to cure things, and, and what we found just in interviewing some people casually, and we don't know how representative this is, is that many of those individuals had some disease or some condition that wasn't really diagnosable by medicine or medicine wasn't necessarily helping. Mm-hmm. And so it made them saying like, well, why am I even asking you? You don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. You know, shouldn't you know this? And, and there are some cases where we just don't know yet or, you know, all all doctors can do is treat the symptoms that they know how to treat
2: yeah yeah uh, yeah, go ahead
0: i was going to say anecdotally uh
1: yeah i've absolutely seen that in members of my own family where they've had something with really non-specific symptoms and uh there's no actual treatment or cure it's just a a kind of ongoing thing uh like a almost like a hidden disability or, or something like that and and uh, so they end up turning to alternative medicine and, and turning on orthodox medicine for, for that very reason.
2: Well, I'm yeah. a big fan of science-based medicine and, and the scientific method. But I, for years, had a a, a, a a weird allergic thing going on where I would intermittently just suddenly have an allergic reaction going into anaphylactic shock. So I had to start carrying oh, wow. around a uh, an EpiPen with me everywhere. And mm-hmm. the word idiopathic uh is is a painful word it means like science doesn't know medicine doesn't know where it's coming from so I had idiopathic anaphylaxis and well you know I mean it's it's really easy to like build all kinds of like ideas about it and I can understand how you would start to doubt medicine and all sorts of things
1: yeah and mm-hmm.
2: and it turned out that like there never was an answer it seems to have stopped I still carry you're in remission <laughs> yeah exactly but I don't ever know what the the condition was well,
0: and and there is so much new work, um, you know, looking into how people's microbiomes can influence all sorts of conditions that they have. You know, we used to think that uh, depression caused stomach mm-hmm. issues, but now it might be that stomach issues cause depression. So the, the mm-hmm. causation yeah. path could go the opposite way. So many people have found that when they switch their diet or they change things up, which influences Mm -hmm. the microbiome then can influence and have positive health effects. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that's trial and error. And you know, the doctors that, that you go to in some ways, sometimes they're so specialized that that.
2: Uh Oh,
0: oops.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That usually happens to me. So (laughs) it's true. She'll come back.
2: (laughs) I hope so. It's it's, um,
1: in the meantime, you should check the questions and see I am, if you am looking
2: at the questions. Yeah, so that's actually I'm, I'm sure.
1: Doing. I don't think you've punned yet.
2: I so. have not.
1: No, no one's able to, to have a shot.
2: No, but she, she was talking about community immunity instead of herd immunity. And I was thought this is an interesting opportunity to talk about community immunity with impunity. So that's not really a pun, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> it'll do. But I, I actually think she's just being suppressed now. I think that
2: no, that's probably what's happening. You know, because a, she's they yeah. don't <laughs> want you to know.
1: So,
2: uh, oh, and she's gone. I hope she joins us oh. again. So she should be back. She will. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting discussion, though. The um,
1: yes, yeah, so so timely.
2: Well, there's there's this whole thing going on right now with this this documentary that's supposed to be coming out called Plandemic which is yes. very much a conspiracy related documentary. And the whole documentary is not even released yet, but just mm-hmm. the snippets that got released to YouTube have created a storm of controversy. So it's been mm-hmm. really troubling.
1: Well, yeah, as uh, Ashley was saying, it's really going to take some time uh, for the dust to settle before uh, papers can be written about what's going on now with COVID-19 and, um, you know, people's beliefs and, and theories and, yeah, it's going to really take a while before everything uh, makes sense. So that's certainly uh, a lot of time for more theories and stories to be generated.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm looking at some of the comments sort of in reverse order. Uh, there's some discussion going on about irredu- unreproducible results. Oh, 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 she's coming back. Great. And um, I know that um, replicability is a, is a big problem, especially in the social sciences. There's <laughs> lots of controversy about that. So we, we went in and we were just discussing – um replicability in social studies, uh in social um
0: Yes. And sort of. sorry about my and I don't know what happened with my internet. Oh no worries, we we were joking that you're being suppressed. I That's am, right. yeah, somebody's suppressing my my ability to talk there. Yeah, so replicability in social science.
2: Yeah, yeah. That the uh, uh, small sample on. sizes and how many social science studies are based on you know, college kids. You know that there's all well, kinds of issues there. Oh, but, there's
0: all sorts of issues yeah. that go into that. But I, I think the the biggest takeaway from that is, you know, recognizing that one study doesn't always give you the answer. Right. You know mm-hmm. that we and yeah, there's all sorts of discussions around this. I mean, yes, yeah, samples are, are part of it. I think, um, you know, when I was in psychology, and I started off in developmental, and we were working a lot with kids. I think I told you guys before, I studied, you know, how kids can learn to trust the right experts. And then I found out adults weren't that great either. So I switched. (laughs) Um, But, you know, uh, a lot of the communication and political science studies work really hard to get, you know, nationally representative samples, or at least something that approximates it. But, you know, even then, it's, it's not clear that what we find will always replicate every time we do a study. And so we look for certain phenomena that, we find over and over again, kind of like what we were talking about before, right? The piling up of, of data. Um, but yeah, I, I think that and then the desire to really sell our research to help. Um, and I, when I say sell, I don't mean for money, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, to, you know, communicate our, our research too early to talk about and in the way we talk about it too. Here's one thing I tell my grad students, I say, you know, When you want to brand yourself as a certain type of researcher and you're trying to say, well, this is what I study, you shouldn't want to define yourself by the tool or the outcome. You want to define yourself Mm -hmm. by the question, because if you define yourself by the question, then you don't have an identity crisis if you find out the answer that you've been convinced is the right one doesn't actually Mm -hmm. work Um, because I think uh, we've seen confirmation bias in scientists when Mm -hmm. you know they've stressed that something has to be true for a long time and then you know they find out that it's not replicable or it's only worked in their own labs nobody else is able to make that happen and then it becomes an identity threat they're worried that people think that they were faking it or that they did it on purpose or and and that's not necessarily the case you know you know, uh, pushing
1: data to make it fit and right.
2: Well, <laughs> so I mean, with this, this uh, thinking about this from cryptozoology. I mean, we we've taken the position, or at least I know I have, uh, that I th- I believe after a lot of research that Bigfoot is probably not a real animal. That it's a it, but, what? but that, is, that doesn't make it. Well, and the point is, <laughs> I believe our show could continue if somebody showed up with a Bigfoot corpse. I I mean. we're always, we're always one type specimen. We're not threatened
0: by Bigfoot.
2: No, no, not at all. I mean, I think. It might just be
0: a football player. What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, So this this is something else I, when my, um, I was teaching general psychology, uh, maybe back in 2013, 2012. And there was a story that was the year that,
2: time ended. I, the Mayans yeah. had predicted it. <laughs> that,
0: that, that's year twenty twelve. Uh, there was there was a story that came out about the weird little skeleton. I, I can't remember what they called it at the time, but it looked like a little alien baby. It had like the elongated skull and a tiny little body, and and I asked my students. I was like, well, how do I prove this is an alien? I mean, there's no way to do it because we don't have alien DNA or alien to compare it to. Even if I found out that, okay, well, I, you know, I, I looked at its, at its genome or whatever it's DNA and it looks like people DNA, it's, it'd still be alien, <laughs> you know? Um, or, you know, so what are the sorts of things you can test? Well, you can test, you know, only what we have so far. There's really no way to, to sort of prove or disprove those things. So they're kind of silly questions to ask to start.
2: Yeah, I think that one actually turned out to be a um, an actual human uh, skeleton from a museum that was – it was kind of cool because that one was released by Jaime Masad, if I remember correctly, uh, in Mexico, among other people. And then it turned out that uh, with digital clarification, they were able – not only was it in a museum, but like the label was able to be deciphered specifically. Okay. So, yeah, yeah I mean, but that, interesting – Understand. that's our yeah. whole show <laughs> so join us every wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on instagram tiktok and twitter at ChinWagPod and wagon
0: you know before the call went live we were talking about how dogs are all one species but they come in different shapes colors and sizes yeah yeah basically two of, of, of people too right um i had a book that was called something about monsters i can't remember but it uh, it talks about all those weird genetic abnormalities and how those became sort of the, those were the genesis for different types of monster stories, um, like cyclops, for example, um, like infants that were. There are born. a lot
2: of genetic conditions that will cause a cyclops baby. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, yeah. and so it's just really and you know if if uh, you know a mother at that time had a had a stillborn infant and it had one eye, I mean again you have a lot of uncertainty what the heck happened this is really tragic you're really upset Mm -hmm. you know well clearly uh she had a sexual relationship with a god and it came out (laughs) you know um and you have to manufacture you manufacture these stories to you know to try to make sense of something upsetting and confusing yeah i think people have only
1: had an understanding of these things for probably about a century or even less than that now i was reading recently about uh the the elephant man joseph merrick and how uh, a lot of people believed at the time that his mother uh, when he was uh you know uh in her uh, when she was carrying him that she had uh, seen the elephant and it had frightened her and so that's what caused him to look the way he did mm-hmm. so lots of
2: you know he didn't really look that much like an elephant he looked more like a cauliflower Fair, but they didn't call him the yeah. cauliflower man did they no it's not good marketing so
0: no. you guys ever watched uh, dr pitbull popper
2: no but my Uh, wife does you probably just got her all excited in fact she probably just stopped watching so she could go over and watch dr pimple popper video yeah
0: Uh, yeah there was there's one lady that was growing a horn
2: like you do on her head
0: yeah Yeah. Uh, so that you know these just weird things just happen to people you
2: know her husband or boyfriend's gonna are you feeling horny
0: oh
1: boy So with this uh, mentality of people who believe in conspiracy theories and science denial, denialism, uh, is this, if you are inclined to believe in one conspiracy theory, does that make you more prone to believing in others?
0: Is it? Yes. Yeah. With conspiracy mentality, they're very highly correlated. So believing in one conspiracy is very highly associated with believing in others. And in part, it's because it all comes down to this worldview that people in power are bad. And now who those people are might vary depending on your specific views. So mm-hmm. it might be the Illuminati, it might be anybody in the government, it might be the Jews, you know. Um, it, uh, it's, you can define it in any way, but in the end it's that you just, you don't trust people. You assume that people are gonna be malicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can sort of come up in a bunch of different ways. The other thing sure. I was thinking about when we were talking earlier, um, is that conspiracy theorists don't even all have to agree on the same act, like on the same scenario, they don't say, this is what I believe happened. Mm-hmm. It's, they all agree that the public facing story is false. Just something yeah. happened. <laughs> and that, there was a study uh, published that I think it's mis, it, it gets misquoted all the time. And they, they talk about how, um, not the people who wrote the study, but when it gets covered in, in media outlets, um, it, because the, the paper was titled Dead and Alive. And it was talking about Princess Diana and the um, when that gets covered by by media outlets, they always say, "Look, conspiracy theorists are irrational. They can believe two conflicting things um, as as true. They bo- believe both that, like for example, Princess Diana is still alive and that the Queen had her killed." But I think they're they're misinterpreting that. What that really is saying is that people who have this really high conspiracy mentality think it is equally plausible that. Um, that princess, that Princess Diana is still alive, and it's also possible that the queen purposefully had her killed. What's not true is what actually happened. <laughs> you know, right, right. Um, and and so it's it's this sort of like questioning, and I think that's what makes them feel comfortable with giving themselves that skeptic label, which yes, is, yeah. is you know it's it's not that they're actually skeptics because they're not considering the evidence carefully, they're not looking at what's most probable, they're just saying, I can always find the one little nugget of something that makes it seem like it's not true. Mm-hmm. And I can point that out sure. for anything that I don't want to be true. And then if, if you go back and you say, well, let me poke holes in what you're saying, the response is, well, we're, we're still trying to figure it out. We're still trying sure. to figure out what the right thing is. So it's, <laughs> it's, 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 um, it's safe being the, the kind of skeptic saying that you don't know what the real truth is, but you just know everybody else is telling you lies um, because you, you're not fully committed to any specific idea. I think I Blake if, still thinks that that Elvis is alive, don't you? Um,
2: what do you mean? Of course he's alive. What, he's alive. In hanging my heart. out with Andy
0: Kaufman. <laughs> I was all about the Andy Kaufman thing for a long time. I was convinced that he definitely faked his death. It totally seemed within the realm of possibility and of his personality.
2: That's interesting. I, he he did do a lot of fake things. Um, yeah, he did
0: total Shaco.
2: So it's interesting he also
0: impersonated Elvis
2: he did he did so there's (laughs) some weird yeah relationships up there but I I
1: I get I'm wondering if there have been any cases uh because we were talking about uh, some you know conspiracy theories being true like Watergate are there any cases of people who have uh, you know faked their death and and sad and there've been conspiracy theories about that and then they've been proven true Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything.
0: (laughs) No, I can't think. Usually, and I feel like when when things are actual conspiracies, we usually find out about them relatively quickly. Um, And that was a long time ago before we had the internet and cell phones. So you kind of have to think that with everybody uh, kind of out for themselves in some way and everybody Mm -hmm. having access to information, the likelihood that any one person would keep a secret is just, I mean- you know you also have to assume for example for the government to have a huge cover-up that the government is is actually um extremely capable and yeah i I think that (laughs) within you have people say well the government's not capable but they have this like really complex network of um you know and and there there's explanations for that and some of the flat earthers told me um what would they call it um when you put things in different pockets i can't remember what the word like criminalization yeah yeah, yeah man, they man. they say well you know not everybody knows it, just some people know it and but right. what's it, that what's it, that, that saying you can... plausible
2: deniability and mm-hmm. I, I you know having worked in the government i they strive to keep secrets sometimes that are just silly i i, I there's this admin thing that, stuff and- well like i i was in the navy and like you know when you're when you're you have a top secret clearance You have to like, for example, in in, in a nuclear field A school, you had to like check in your books every day. At the end of the day, you check out your books. And so the contents of those books were considered to be top secret. And so I had a top secret clearance and I went to my nuclear field classes. And one day I was out jogging on my free time and I went to a uh, a, a university library that was kind of behind the base. And in the interest of the library on display, was a detailed diagram of a nuclear reactor that was extensively more detailed than what we were using in class. It was just <laughs> sitting there in the interest of the library. And I realized that some of this secret stuff is about keeping people to follow a protocol towards keeping secrecy, not about actually protecting the public. It's about teaching right. you that a secret is a thing that has to be kept private, whether yeah. anybody knows about it or not. You know, mm-hmm. so it's,
0: Nobody it's really- will ever give me a security clearance i can't
2: do that you'd be be surprised
1: so So we should check in with our our viewers as well if we got any questions or any any comments
2: um they they said you should get a poster of bigfoot playing poker um for your room karen that's my poker i think they mean instead of like like dogs playing poker poker. yeah oh got it got it yeah yeah so so uh, we have some more questions. Not my taste,
0: like, but yeah.
2: When, when, when we, we were thinking about like the last time there was this much science denial, while you were gone, we started talking about Plandemic, the, the, this new yeah, uh, yeah, they, documentary yeah. that's
0: coming Have you seen out. that trailer? I haven't I even call myself, it a documentary. I, well, people well, forget all, all documentaries are propaganda. And that sounds like a conspiracy theorist for me, but <laughs> I, I think there's there's this assumption that like uh, that, that documentaries somehow have the sort of gravitas of like a BBC documentary because it's called a documentary, right? But sure. well, It's basically sure. like, no offense to people who make documentaries, it's like, hey, I have a camera. You want to hear my point of view? It's like YouTube <laughs> but long form.
2: Everybody <laughs> has an agenda, even the BBC. That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We, we hope that their agenda is telling the truth. But but I think about this, this new thing, this, this um, pandemic, it reminds me very much of uh, loose change in the 9-11 uh, conspiracy stuff. Um, I actually – I can't think of her name, but the woman who's behind – like the, the main star of this, she appeared on Coast to Coast AM on April 15th. And I didn't know anything about this documentary, but I heard her talking. I was like, "Oh my god, who is this?" She is saying some dangerous nonsense. Um, she was really, really down on Fauci, and uh, and sort of she was talking about. Um, she was saying that the influenza uh, vaccine would cause you to be more susceptible to disease, and all kinds of stuff that was not just wrong, but like dangerously wrong. And I, I actually got really mad, and I listened to Coast to Coast in the morning um, uh, on a California station while I have my coffee, and I, I got so mad. I was like, I haven't even had a full cup of coffee, and I'm already raging. Um, so, I, like, to find out, like, it was within a month, I found out she was like involved with this, this, this pandemic documentary thing, mm-hmm. and and it's, it's really taking off.
0: Yeah. because
2: um it's so anti-science and anti uh science-based medicine um and it is it sounds very dangerous but i haven't watched it. what they've released so far has just been like a, a small segment of the whole documentary which is even no, more I horrifying. people
0: have watched it i guess i you know i haven't seen it either i know that facebook keeps taking it down youtube keeps taking it down yeah okay. um and somehow that you know feeds the conspiracy more. Well, it does, of course, I, it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: but like with nine eleven, the the whole nine eleven is an inside job thing. It like it's not going to kill you if you believe that, right? But like, but like promoting uh, anti-quarantine uh, behaviors during a pandemic actually literally could have a death toll, right? Yes, I mean,
0: yeah, so. which is why they took it down. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. I'm teaching uh, this summer, I'm teaching a class called Propaganda and Persuasion, and I'm using this book. And in it, there is uh, uh, rules for how to conduct a propaganda analysis. And I really think that people should do all of this when they're watching something that seems like it makes sense to them. And that's something that we find over and over again in our research is that we're really, really good at being skeptical about stuff we disagree with. But if it seems reasonable or if it seems like we might agree with it, we have a hard time questioning it for a second. So here's it tells you to identify the ideology and the purpose of the campaign. So when you're watching it, what do you think the beliefs, the core beliefs are behind the people who are creating this? The context in which that occurs. um, Who are the people who are creating this documentation? What are their backgrounds? So, for example, a friend of mine's parents said, well, why wouldn't you believe this? They're doctors. Well, there's a lot of doctors who don't believe it just because one doctor does believe it doesn't make it mm. credible. Um, You know, who's the target audience? Like, who are they trying to message to? Um, how are they using media to spread their message? Um, what techniques are they using in the, the and this isn't for documentary specifically, but if you're thinking about that, you know, what are they trying to use to, to maximize the effect? Um, here's an example, the ONG GMO, Um, I don't know if you saw that. The the guy walks through a field of GM crops, I can't remember if it was corn or soy or something, in a hazmat suit with his kids in hazmat suits. I mean, that gives you just this like visual, right? Um, What the audience's reactions are to various techniques. what counter propaganda, if any, are present, and what might the effects be? Or so you know, trying to step back and like analyze something, even if you don't think that it's propaganda. If you want to say well, clearly, they're trying to persuade you. All information, you know, that you'll see like this is trying to persuade you in some way. What are they trying to persuade you of? Who are they? What are they doing? I, and everybody always says to me, um, when I say everybody, I mean the conspiracy theorists. You say, follow the money. Follow the money. <laughs>
1: What about That's on
2: the other the, side? The, was it kui Bono who benefits? Is that Cui Bono who benefits? That's always that, that big question. Who who benefits from this? Yeah. And, well, yeah. Idea,
0: so I, I talked to um you know Mark Sargent, and we were talking about uh genetically modified organisms, and uh we also talked about vaccines and, and well, how do you know who the who the like who who the they are? Because on one hand, you could have you know groups who are creating genetically modified crops from nonprofit organizations trying to, you know, lower vitamin A deficiency in populations in Southeast Asia. um, They're not monetarily benefiting from this, but then you have the, um, the groups who are against this burning down fields, but maybe they're benefiting like the whole foods type of complex, right? People who are marking up mint plants at Walmart, by putting a non-GMO thing on it when there's no GM mint plant you know so there's there's money on both sides so it it just seems ridiculous to say that like because you can find a monetary incentive or some other type of incentive it's inherently a bad thing um, when you could technically find it on any part of the stream Mm
2: -hmm. wait so they're doing they're doing non-GMO mint or they're doing GMO mint
0: (laughs) Non-GMO. They said so. I my sister took. So, it oh, so this her.
2: is like the this is like the uh, um, the gluten free hard candy. Of course, exactly, gluten free. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. Okay. That,
0: like here's imperial <laughs> sugar with no trans fat.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fat free, yeah. non-GMO, I mean, no no, I mean, no gluten. Sweet.
0: When there's not a version, so it's it's clearly at that point a market tactic. You know, it's a market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's money to be gained there as well. A
2: mm-hmm. um, mint of it yeah
0: this is like
1: a really useful uh textbook who was the author
0: um so this is um gareth jowett uh jowett and victoria o'donnell it I'm, I'm i don't mean to be like selling things on here so this is the no, no, no. this book um but so
2: this is yeah. a gluten-free non-gmo book right
0: right no okay, trans fats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, trans fat. Um, but no, I, I. So we're. That's what I'm teaching. I'm teaching propaganda this summer. Um, yeah, it sounds like a great tool, but it's. Um, I think the the people
1: who have blind spots just. It's really difficult to be self-effacing about these is kinds of things. Really it is.
2: freaking me out to hear you say blind spots <laughs> as you sort of fade in and out of the background. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah the no, that's like are the putting blind spots one of the assignments I want to do for this class is, um, you know, have people go on Netflix or YouTube and find a documentary that they find compelling and Mm -hmm. try to step back for a second and, and think, and you don't have to, you don't have to become a conspiracy theorist about that documentary per se, or or that Mm -hmm. information, but just, you know, try to step back for a second. You don't have to automatically believe everything that, that you see, but you don't have to automatically reject it all either. Um, but just you know, really turning a critical eye to stuff that we want to believe. Yeah, because we I feel like we have to very capable. We're really good at tearing down stuff we don't believe, <laughs> you know. So let's just try totally. to turn that towards the oh, sorry, slam my hand mm-hmm. on the table. Turn that uh that ability yeah, uh, towards things that we do find plausible. Mm-hmm.
2: So I feel like we've talked about science denialism. Uh, what do we know? <sighs> And this is a really tough question, but what do you think is the driving factor behind science tonight? Why why do people want to reject science?
0: Like I said, it's it's issue specific, so okay. they don't reject science as a whole. Now, there might be like there is a small small subset of people who take a very extremist biblical view, um, and they they talk about um, you know how science isn't real and it's trying to cover. That's that's like a really tiny group of people. Um, the, everybody else, it's denying specific scientific findings or theories that, uh, that go against your core beliefs. Mm-hmm. So that's when you want to reject something because it goes against your core beliefs or the core beliefs of a group that you belong to.
2: So in general, it's more about topical denial, not, Science as a methodology denial, Exactly,
0: right? exactly. Okay. Um, the only sort of area of science where you find extreme opposition are environmental scientists, and that just comes from the climate change stuff. So um, all other areas, it's, it's really not a, a broad denial of science. It's a topic-specific denialism. And in most of those cases, they will find their own scientists to come and speak out in favor of their views. So another yeah. book- that my class is reading this summer and there's also the documentary is merchants of doubt. And I, I think that, you know, they talk about, you know, um, how, you know, public relations firms, you, you can always find somebody. So again, this is why it's important to not think about one specific scientist or one specific point of view. If you step back and you look at the whole, right, where, where is the the general consensus moving to, um, you know, you can always deny the consensus and call it collusion. Of course, mm-hmm. um, but if you if you view yourself as somebody who who understands the benefits of the scientific method, who recognizes that different scientists check each other, we we I mean we're we're all we all want to fight with each other to. Um, you know, for example, if, you know, people always say there's a oh, there's already a cure for cancer out there, and and that science is hiding it. I mean, yeah. science has way more to benefit by curing cancer than they do. Hiding
2: it. Yeah, but, that's that's yeah. weird in so many ways. I mean, like, so that one of the one of the problems with that is that they treat cancer as a monolithic disease. That's also
0: true. Yes. Yeah. And,
2: and cancer is a whole bunch of things, right? You yeah, know, so
1: hundreds of different. There's not, right. Cancer. Exactly.
2: There's, there's not a cancer and there's not a mm-hmm. cure, right? It's right. You know,
1: but right. uh, yeah, we did an interview a couple of weeks ago too, about uh, a documentary about the arc encounter and Ken Ham and, and certainly the, um the stable of
0: experts and doctors and, phd did anybody even we, know we, who ken ham was before bill nye got on stage with him
2: yes we, yes he was the le- <laughs> le- leading chin beard in america yeah so yeah <laughs> so yeah uh, he sounds uh, a
1: little we, bit like me
2: is that, <laughs> he did yeah, he does and, and, and there had been a flood of interest yeah so, yeah. yeah well there
1: so. you go <laughs> take another drink <laughs> <Get> eight minutes
2: <laughs> i'm just trying to get at least three drinks in get a, exactly
1: yeah so, get a pun a minute
2: uh <laughs> Did he make Noah Ken Ham? Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> I mean, not to be rude, but we used to jokingly refer to him as Ken Sham. Does that count as a pun? What the S yeah, silence? Nice
2: one. So here's one of our questions. Um, organized skepticism has identified a set of logical fallacies to recognize non-critical thinking are these fallacies valuable for fighting science denialism and i love talking about logical fanta- fallacies um logical, I fantasies. logical <laughs> fantasies uh <I> look <laughs> no I, I am actually i love logical fallacies in discussing debate and argument mm-hmm. but i find it them. to be I, well in making them and fighting against them but at the same time aren't they the nerdiest aspect of skepticism i mean like you know Naming it spot that fallacy. But the,
0: the, the Ten Commandments, yeah, well, like, like anything else, I, I think they can be used as a—you know—they can use be used as a tool by tools, right? Ah! To, to to kind of like you know to like point out when you're being stupid, and and yeah. that's never fun. But I mean, there there's been some evidence that you know a uh, constant reminder ahead of time of certain biases can help prevent people being biased. Um, you know, you, if you, it's, it's because people, it's, it, these, these are also intuitive ways of thinking. And, and so, um, you know, it, you you're not always thinking about the biases ahead of time, but if you right. kind of see them run across your Facebook now and then as a cute infographic and you read about them, um, you know, you may think about it and think, well, wait, th- this sounds like it might be straw man, you know, and you go. I, and you
2: look- I love female folk singers, but that's my Joan bias. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can cut this short if you like. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, pointing out when other people are engaging logical fallacies isn't necessarily helpful. I mean, you, you can think about talking to other people about um, when, you know, when you think somebody else is denying science or when you think that they're um, they're thinking illogically, um, you know, think about have you ever been in couples therapy and learned how to talk to your partner? <laughs> you know, that. <laughs> sort of like but i'm you know, still married yes <laughs> yes it can work <laughs> you know, uh or but even if you like watched a tv show where other people engaged in couples therapy you know, i feel like you know, yeah you know, yes you know, how does it, that make
2: you feel yeah i well, think I mean, what she's saying right yeah, being yeah great
0: yeah. you know being like listening and talking to people and not telling them what they're doing i mean you're because mm-hmm. you don't want to just create like a reactive type of uh, type of engagement and and that's you know, typically what you're well
2: thinking. and it also it, I think thinking too much well I shouldn't say thinking too much but if you focus on fallacies you're 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 dealing with the argument at a layer of abstraction out right yeah. and, and and it's easy to point out these fallacies without actually considering that the person making them is really trying to convey some emotionally deep felt yeah thing and i think empathy has got to be really important in, in trying to get somebody out of these traps right. these mind traps yeah.
0: Yeah. And i think if you too if you go into it like i'm gonna convince them how they're wrong remember they're probably mm-hmm.
2: thinking yes they yeah you,
0: mm-hmm. you know yeah. they're probably thinking so nobody likes when the self-righteous you know person comes into the conversation and, and tells them how it is uh yeah you know, so so remember you really don't make the conversation about telling them what's the actual way that they should be thinking find out well what is it like be more interested in why they're thinking something than mm-hmm. what it is that they're saying
1: so I guess to follow on from that too uh and and also in regards to your paper did you find that you can and we have touched upon this already but how can you change minds uh, <laughs> when it comes to conspiracy theories and science denialism?
0: uh yeah so um we did not do that in this paper we, we looked more at, at what sort of the underlying personality kind of traits are that help that predict these um you will find papers in psychology that that claim that their five-minute intervention study changes minds I'd, I'd be mildly skeptical of those um they love to i mean those are the sorts of things of course that love to be covered um you know here all you have to do is just ask them these five questions this pie chart will, will make them change their minds completely. Well, I mean, it's never Seems that too simple. At, look at my
2: infographic. It explains I mean, it <laughs> all. <laughs> yeah. Here's
0: my infographic. Believe what I say. Um, it, it's never that simple. And, and yeah. I think, right. you know, social science is, is hard because these types of interventions, which really would be long-term conversations that would be specific to the individual, um, and what they're thinking and whom they're talking to, that's, that's, um, that's not something that an experiment is going to show. And so sure. the, the, the best we can do is try to understand, and then, you know, look at these longer term, you know, type of studies to figure that out. And, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that, you know, some of these experiments in the populations that they've used in their sample have shifted the mean from like over here to over here. Thus P is less than 0.05, um, it's statistical significance, uh, but I mean, how meaningful is that to any one person? I, I mean, I could, yeah. you know, I could take the the ninety-seven percent of scientists agree climate change is real and show it to my mother-in-law. It doesn't mean that she's going to believe that climate change is real because she's now seen this pie chart. So who mm-hmm. is that really convincing? I mean, yeah, that's you know, I, I think even if the studies can show that mean shift, it it doesn't necessarily mean something to 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 the individuals. And yeah. Um, well, I think there
1: is that uh, mentality amongst uh, some skeptics and some atheists too that you can that there's a way that you can turn people into skeptics and a way you can turn them into to atheists and
0: yeah, and there's honestly, manuals I, out there. And you know what? And it's happened. But uh, everybody whom I've ever spoken with, and again, of course, this is anecdotal, who has gone from being a you know a evangelical biblical literalist to being an atheist skeptic, it was not a one hit thing. It was not no, one thing a, that no. it was, it was a long time. It there was like, it,
2: It's was an accretive experience process to become yeah. one and it takes an yeah. accretive process to become someone. Yeah.
0: And, like, and, yeah. and there, but there has to even be like a level of openness. So a friend of mine who is also a science communication uh, research scholar was, you know, was one of these individuals. And and she said it started because she was taking philosophy classes in college and, you know, just having these conversations and and going to these classes and thinking about things. And I mean, yes, there was, sort of a point where she really kind of made that switch and that might make it feel like it was a moment like a thing that happened in a moment but she first had to be open to being a philosophy major in the first place and she had to select different classes and then she had to sit through these classes and be be, you know cognitively acting upon the things that were being said and then you know who was she talking to like and 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 what were what were the reactions she was getting back? You know, did she have a bunch of people telling her why what that the fact that she was a biblical literalist and evangelical Christian is a negative thing? I mean, no, that, that wouldn't be helpful. So it's, you know, I really think that and that a lot of these are are long-term processes. And if you really want to um to shift people's views, it's not gonna be something that an opinion leader can do, not. So one of the studies that that I published back in 2017 looked at the Pope talking about climate change and there was so much like excitement around a, cons- you know, you have somebody from, um, uh, you know, somebody who's anti-abortion talking about why climate change is real, right? And and making the argument that climate change is a moral obligation. It's a moral obligation to act to address climate change. But all the arguments that the Pope had made were liberal based anyway. And what you ended up having happened was not changing conservative Catholics to be um, supportive of acting to address climate change. What you ended up having Mm. was a bunch of atheist liberals thinking the Pope was cool. Uh, And, (laughs) you know, and and they're like, oh, Pope Frank, we love Pope Frank, but that's that's not really what the goal was. And Mm. so I, I think a lot of this has to be bottom up, you know, it has to be Uh, local friends and family, you know, talking to each other, not on social media in these like weird competitive
1: ways,
0: (laughs) you know, just conversations before it even gets to that point. And, and, you know, maybe you can't even change their minds, but that I think is what's going to be sort of the most useful. So Catherine Hayhoe here at Texas Tech is a climate change communicator um, and relatively famous for it. And, you know, she's made great strides with the rural, you know, farming communities here in, in Lubbock, Texas, um, by telling them that, you know, she too, she's an evangelical Christian, they're evangelical Christians. Let me tell you why right. I view that this is consistent with my views. And you can come on ground. You. And so it's on the ground. It's not coming up from on high. And, and yeah. I mean, I could be wrong in thinking that that's really the way to do it. I, you know, I don't have
1: that makes that sense people. that it would be a process it's not going to be well, an overnight thing
2: exactly I think people forget that the becoming a fundamentalist is also an accretive process and it takes a long yeah. time yes. and so getting out of it also takes a long time but it is yeah. interesting to think about like this all these ideas of you know sort of conflicting ideas coming from uh, c- Catholic leadership is sort of a Pope puree yeah so. well I
0: mean yeah <laughs> Just ignore it. <laughs> that was that was a good Keep one. Talking. We had a, a lot of people telling us, well, you know, Pope Francis doesn't count as a real Pope because Benedict is still alive. You know, people found all sorts <laughs> of interesting ways to motivate. Confirming. Well, is it here,
2: <laughs> the ex- <Benedict>? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I I think I think
1: we're gonna cut him off and go to the final question because we are we are going over time. So Ashley, we, we always like to ask our guests on the show, what's your favorite monster?
0: Yeah. So I was thinking about this and I didn't mean to wear my Muppet shirt on the day I was going to say this, but I think Grover (laughs) uh, from Sesame Street is my favorite monster. And, you know, the I remember reading over and over again when I was a kid, that book, there's a monster at the end of this book it came out a in 19...
2: his podcast so yeah,
0: yeah. Monster <laughs> book. it came out in like 1971 it is um,
2: classic that went in the, dood- the great doodle bug mystery like too yeah. my books.
0: you know i was in a i was in a play in college that at one point i realized was really just a convoluted version of a monster at the end of this book and i mentioned that i was like you know we you know it was like oh well this character he's like breaking the fourth wall talking to the audience about how yes. what happened at the end i was like but he doesn't actually know what's going to happen at the end, but only this girl knows. And I was like, wow, that, that's the monster at the end of this book. That's Grover. And then Supernatural, that long-running, amazing show that also has monsters on it, on what was the CW and now has a different name. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I, yeah, I don't remember what it is. But it's a pretty good show. Uh, they had an episode called, I don't remember if it was the monster at the end of this book, but it was in season four, something. like I mean, this is just a very you know culturally meaningful work of art.
2: Um, yeah, what are, they, what are they on? Like, did they do like 13 or 14 seasons. They've got, they've got a long run. I'm pretty run. sure it's
0: still going. And I, yeah. I think, in part, it's because it's somewhat self-effacing and it has great music.
2: Yeah, they did a crossover with Scooby Doo, which is like really a dream of mine. Right. So, yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah.
1: Scooby Doo is time to binge watch. watch. never actually
2: I, I just want to meet Velma. That's a, a different issue. But, yeah. So yeah. That's,
1: that's <laughs> well, wow.
2: <laughs> Ashley, thank you so much for spending an hour with us. Thank really you very nice.
1: much. That was really interesting.
2: And it was good to meet you again or see you yeah, again. I guess. I guess.
0: I'm yeah. sorry I dropped off in the middle.
2: No, it's all right. <laughs> sure. can, I,
0: can I put one more pitch in here from my- Sure, woman? please. So one of the things that um, my uh, the woman that was our mentor when I was at the policy center said, she really hates that people use fake news and like that, that term fake, news. fake and, uh, news. And a lot of people in the academic world have been using it and I want to quote her, she said, we should not use the term fake news. Instead, we should use the term viral deception with the acronym VD to purposefully purposefully associate it with venereal disease. And when she was doing an interview with Brian uh, Stelter on CNN's Reliable Sources, she said, we don't want to get venereal disease. If you find someone who's got it, you want to quarantine them and cure them. You don't want to transmit it. By virtue of saying fake news, we ask the question, well, what is real news? And you invite people to label everything they disapprove of as fake news. As a result, it's not a useful concept. What are we really concerned about? Deception and deception of a certain sort that goes viral. So, E D, <laughs> viral deception. Okay.
2: There you go. And I, I like it. All right, I'm going to hit the lo- – oh, sorry. Uh, again, uh, thank you for watching, and thank you for joining us. And, thank
1: you very uh, much. And if everyone can uh, like, subscribe, and share to this uh, um, this video and the, the new channel that we've got up and running too,
2: exactly. Monster Talk
1: yep. Podcast. Yep. Very
2: YouTube. helpful, very helpful. And uh, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Monster Talk. You can find us on Facebook. Look for Monster yep. Talk, one word. And again, thank you for joining us. Monster Talk. You've been listening to a podcast version of Monster Talk Live, a special feature that we recorded during 2020. Links to the video version of these episodes are in the show notes. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and we'll work to continue to provide good content there, including more streaming events in the future. Monster Talk is a listener-supported program, and your subscription at patreon.com forward slash Talk sustains us during these difficult times. Thank you for your support and for your positive reviews. I'm Blake Smith. And along with my co host Karen Stolzno, we ask you to join us in being the voice of reason and science in a world that's perilous with nonsense, superstition, and dangerous misinformation. Shine your lights, everyone. Even a flickering candle can be seen for miles in the darkness. And together, we are stronger. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for listening.